The wisdom of God. Now, first of all, let me say, this is not going to be a comprehensive message. No one, humanly speaking, can say and speak about everything about the wisdom of God. God is just bigger than us. Can you say amen? There's, there's no way I can totally expound all the truths about the wisdom of God because I'm not that smart. <laughs> Praise God. But we want to look at a few things this morning. The wisdom of God. We'll begin in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning I just want to surrender my tongue and my mouth to you and ask and pray for your anointing, God, that the hearers would be blessed, God, this morning in Jesus' holy name. Amen. <clears throat> Wisdom. Everybody, anybody uh, ever remember uh, Pastor Andy Elms from England? He uh, came to the 22nd Street Church many, many years ago one time, and he preached about wisdom. And the book of Proverbs is all about wisdom. It's, uh, and he preached a whole sermon on get wisdom. Wisdom is the principal thing. With all you're getting, get wisdom. We need wisdom. Can you say amen? Well, we want to look at the wisdom of God because it contrasts with the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of the world would you would probably best describe as philosophy. There's uh, philosopher doctors. They, uh, they get a PhD. <laughs> it's piled high and deep. Praise God. They do some work. Yes, I know they have to be pretty smart to get a PhD and a doctorate, but all the answers to all of man's problems are in the Bible. When I was uh, uh, many years ago, studying to be a Catholic priest. And I remember we studied Greek and Roman philosophy and, and the, the gospel, the Bible that we have, the New Testament was written around the time of Greek and Roman philosophers really trying to figure things out. And they really couldn't <laughs> because all the answers are in the Bible. And I'll never forget reading John's gospel and I read the words, you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And it's like the word truth jumped out of the page at me, and something inside said, yes, I want to know the truth. It turns out Jesus is the truth incarnate. But we want to look here this morning. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. I don't know about you, but I like power. When I was growing up, I was always one of the smallest people, one of the smallest guys in my class. And I remember first uh, year in high school in the ninth grade, I was four foot six and I weighed 65 pounds. <laughs> my older brothers were already in the same high school and they had stairwells in the back of the, the building where you could walk down and, and cut through the classroom and go to your next classroom and and I was cutting through my brother Andrew's classroom and said, hi, Andy. And uh, one of his classmates says, hey, kid, the grade school's down the street. <laughs> so anyway, we went to a PE class and uh, we were supposed to do pull-ups and chin-ups and there was this big rope hanging up from the ceiling and the teacher showed us how to wrap the rope around your foot and put your foot on it and pull yourself up. And so 
weighing 65 pounds, there's no problem. I just went right up, came right back down. <laughs> and my other classmates are all a lot bigger than me, and I think only one other person was able to do it. And then we were supposed to do pull-ups. And uh, three was the, 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 the minimum that, you know, if you did three pull-ups, you were in good shape. I did 10. <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah. But there I was in high school, this little guy, and, 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 and I wanted power. I always felt threatened, you know, because people were bigger than me. Well, we have power, the power of God. Listen to this. This is so interesting to me. I have a, uh, a parallel New Testament at home. And it's got the Greek, which I don't know a whole lot about. I was supposed to study Greek in seminary, but I didn't. We studied some Latin, and I failed out anyway. But <laughs> Greek, and then it's got six different translations. And I know, I just happen to know what the Greek word logos looks like in Greek. And I was looking at this sentence in the Greek, and this word in Greek is logos. And if you're familiar with logos, it basic meaning is a spoken word. But Jesus is the logos. He's the real deal. He's the big shot. He's the, the uh, I don't know how to describe it because Jesus is God. Jesus is the logos. But this Logos is a spoken word, and the word of the cross, or the message of the cross, is folly. In the Amplified Bible, it says that this word is, though the message of the cross is sheer absurdity. Before people get saved, most people, before they get saved, they haven't got a clue. You tell them about Jesus in the Bible, and I had one guy, I don't know, I must have talked to him like 45 minutes. He had so many questions, and he didn't get saved. And then a while later, somebody told me, you know what? That guy told me about you. He says, you sure do know a lot of stuff. <laughs> I needed him to get, I wanted him to get saved. I did the best to answer his questions, but I tried to point him to Jesus and the cross. I saw a video recently, uh, guys out on the street corner interviewing people. And it just so happens person he's speaking to is a prosecuting attorney. And he's, and he's Jewish, too. And he says, he asked the prosecuting attorney, he says, do you believe that people who do wrong ought to receive punishment for their wrongdoing or the consequences of their actions? He says, oh, of course I do. I'm a prosecuting attorney. So they should be punished for doing wrong. So he says, okay, let me ask you a question. I know I've done a lot of wrong things in my life. How about you? Have you ever done anything wrong? And the prosecuting attorney says, well, yeah, of course. <laughs> Everybody has. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And he says, well, here's the deal. Jesus paid the price for all of our sin. And that's the good news. Sheer absurdity to those who are perishing. Now this phrase, those who are perishing, it literally means those who are on the way to perdition. Some of them don't have any idea that they're going that way. They're in the way of perishing. They're on their way to perdition. 
But if you notice, it says, goes on to say, but to us, the word of the cross, to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now this phrase, us who are being saved, literally means, according to Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown's commentary, it literally means those of us who are on the way or in the path of salvation. The, uh, uh, in chapter uh, 9, Paul the Apostle has authority in chapter 9, verse 2. He has authority from the high priests in Jerusalem to go to Damascus and to arrest, to go to the synagogues and to arrest anyone who is following the way. Uh, Pastor Jack Hayford called his church the church on the way. If you and I are saved and born again and living for God, we are on the way. We are those who are being saved. We're on it. We haven't arrived yet, amen? When we finally get to heaven, then we'll be done. Hallelujah. When we go to meet Jesus, we'll be done. In the meantime, we're on the way. Hallelujah. Thank God that he hasn't finished with us yet. I found a book. I don't know. I think Kathy must have bought it at the uh, uh, Bookman's or something. It's called Instant Inspiration by Jerry Jerome, copyright 2003. Listen to the name of the publishing company. Instant Wisdom Publishing. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Oh, it's like, let's just take a pill and we'll have wisdom all the, you know, Instant Wisdom Publishing. It's a business self-help book. It's got tons of quotations by famous people to motivate you to become successful and to uh, get on with your life and, and make a big difference and make a dent in the world and become famous yourself, I guess. In, in 211 pages, the guy only has three scriptures quoted. Three out of 211 pages of quotations of famous people. (laughs) These are all the quotes you really need. (laughs) Amen? Smith Wigglesworth, I was watching a video uh, Lester Summerall many, many years ago. Got to visit and meet Smith Wigglesworth. He was living in England at the time. And uh, he arrives at Smith Wigglesworth's house. And Smith Wigglesworth's Smith Wigglesworth was famous or known as only reading the Bible. He would read nothing else, just the Bible. And Lester Summerall says he arrived at the doorstep, knocks on the door, Smith opens the door and says, what's that you got there? He has a newspaper. He says, I don't allow those lies in my house. Go put that in the trash. Praise God. But Paul, according to Matthew Henry's commentary, preached a crucified Jesus, I was going to say in plain English, but they preached in Greek and Hebrew back then. He preached a crucified Jesus in plain language, made it simple so that even a four-year-old could understand it. I read, uh, I gave uh, my grandson Wayne my copy of This Day in Christian History. And I remember reading in there one time, Jonathan Edwards, who preached the famous uh, sermon, 
sinners in the hands of an angry God back in the uh, colonial days of America. His grandson was late for dinner one time because he was out evangelizing some Native Americans. And he had like 15 Native Americans sitting there and he's preaching to them. This four-year-old could understand the gospel and explain it to these, these Native Americans. It's very simple. Praise God. Preaching. It's the message. Uh, Strong's um, dictionary uh, identifies or, or defines it, logos, as a spoken word. You can't think people into salvation. You have to speak to them. You just can't wish, oh God, I wish they could read my mind, you know, and I wish I could just, you know, get some vibes going into them and, they, and they, they'd become Christians. It doesn't work that way. They have to hear the message, amen? Praise God. Notice also this phrase here, the power of God. The cross is the power of God because the end result of the cross was not only the death of Jesus, but the resurrection from the dead. Hallelujah. Jameson Fawcett and Brown's commentary says, puts it this way, this, the cross is the highest exhibition of demonstration of God's power. It's the manifestation of God's power, of the power of God. To us who are being saved, this is something that's ongoing. It's not a one-time deal. You get saved and that's it. I don't know about you, but there's a whole lot more than I need to learn about God. Amen? Hallelujah. Paul, according to Matthew Henry's commentary, preached a crucified Jesus in plain language. That is, Jesus was crucified in Jerusalem. The Jesus who was crucified in Jerusalem is the Son of God and the Savior of everyone who will believe and repent. This message prevailed in the world by its divine authority. It was more powerful and still is more powerful than all the philosophy of the heathen world. The word philosophy means the love of wisdom. If you're familiar, remember in the book of Acts, the, uh, uh, Paul and his companions come to a city and uh, there's an uproar and they say, these men who have turned the world upside down have come to our city too. And that's what the gospel does. It turns lives upside down. People walk in one way and they receive the gospel, they receive Jesus and they repent and Jesus changes them and continually changes them. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Where they are in the way and we are in the way of being saved. The power of God is a changed life. Let's go on. 1 Corinthians chapter 19 verse 20. For it is written... I will destroy the wisdom. This is God speaking through Isaiah the prophet. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. <clears throat> when I was first starting out in life after high school, I worked at night. Uh, I had to get up like 3 o'clock in the morning and I worked in the produce business delivering uh, fruit and vegetables to restaurants in New York City. And I'd come home around noon, and my little brother Philip would be there, and we'd watch Sesame Street together. That's, that's my nose making that noise. Can you hear me now? You still good? Okay. <laughs> I want to breathe into the microphone here. Sorry. 
But one thing I noticed about Sesame Street, they had this little song, they'd show these things. One of these things does not belong here. One of these things is not like the other. And I find it so funny because nowadays discrimination's a bad word. One of these things doesn't belong here. Oh, you're discriminating. You're discerning. They're trying to teach the kids how to, you know, put things together. But now they don't realize, oh, you're teaching discrimination. Discrimination used to be a good word. Now it's a bad word. A person who had a discriminating palate was able to, you know, tell you, oh, this food is really good. This is uh, uh, really good stuff here. But now discrimination is like an evil word. Oh, you're a discriminator. Because people have got this strange idea that the Bible is irrelevant. Listen to what this is. Actually, just part of the verse. And if you notice, when Paul writes, he doesn't quote it exactly. It's always like paraphrased. And actually says... In Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13, And the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment or a precept taught by men. And Jesus warned us about that, about uh, you know the uh, precepts of men being taught as the oracles of God. Verse 14, God says, Therefore, Behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people, with wonder upon wonder. And this is not in a good sense. This makes people wonder. And the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the discerning, discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. This is like, like a punishment. The discernment of the discerning I will thwart. It will be hidden, so that the wise people of the world will have no idea what to do. Verse 20 goes on to say, Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? <laughs> They're all over the Facebook and stuff. That's where they are. <laughs> where is the one who is wise? Where is the philosopher? Where is the scribe, the scholar who knows so much? Oh, look who knows so much. You <laughs> know, much learning has made them mad. Where's the debater of this age? This literally means a critic or an investigator. Well, let's, you know, look at all the facts. Well, the fact is, we're born sinners and we need a Savior. Amen? Pretty simple. Where's the scribe? Where's the philosopher? Where's the wise person? Has God, has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? And then here's some advice from Titus chapter 3, verse 9. Paul writes, But avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. There's, it's so tempting to write comments. <laughs> you watch, faith, look through Facebook, and people put all kinds of stuff up there. Somebody got really mad at me because I defended uh, the... Uh, the uh, Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe versus Wade. And uh, someone uh, wrote back, oh, you know, you Christians have shed more blood than anyone else. You know, you've started wars and all that. 
So I was tempted to write back, well, maybe they weren't really followers of Jesus. What makes a Christian? Not just because you go to church, right? What makes a Christian is a follower of Jesus. Avoid <laughs> foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law. They are unprofitable and useless. Verse 21. For since, in the wisdom of God, hold on, take this one out there just for a second. Let's read this one. For since the world did not know God through wisdom or human philosophy, it pleased God through the folly or foolishness of what we preach to save those who believe. In the wisdom of God. God is smarter than us. Amen? The world did not know God through its wisdom. It pleased God. It failed. The world failed to know God. Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown's commentary says it this way. It, the world did not know God through wisdom. Mankind cannot discover our duty to God by natural means. It comes by revelation. Jesus, the revelation, the Holy Spirit has to speak to a person and, and let them know, you know what? What you're doing is wrong. You know what? And Isaiah, it says the people come to the conclusion, we need to get saved. When I uh, first got saved, um, Actually, it was two years before I actually got saved. I answered, the, I responded in the church, and I, I raised my hand, yes, I need Jesus. But I hadn't got a clue. I didn't know. And, uh, you know, I just kind of like went through the motions. But Thanksgiving Day, 1981, I knew I needed to get saved. I knew I was not saved. I read the list in uh, in uh, Galatians, these are the works of the flesh, and I had to look some of them up in the dictionary, and I said, oh my God, I'm doing almost all of these. And then there's another one, is the, whoever, uh, I was an alcoholic, and uh, it says, no drunkard will inherit the kingdom of heaven. I said, I need to get saved. And that day, I asked Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I remember reading Romans. It says, you can Best with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. And I read that, and I thought, well, I believe Jesus rose from the dead. Guess I'm saved. But I hadn't confessed Jesus as Lord with my mouth. The other scripture that really bothered me was, the wages of sin is death. It's like, oh my God, why doesn't God kill me? The wages of sin is death. There's no hope for me. God just might as well kill me. But it took me a while to get the rest of it. The other half of that verse is, but, or however, the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And I received that gift. Hallelujah. And I have never been the same. Mankind did not know God through wisdom. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 says that the God, this Paul prays, and you should read all of Ephesians from Verse 17, all the way to the end because it's a lengthy prayer and it's so rich. In fact, I'm, I'm going to read it, actually. Got my large print Bible so I can see. Hallelujah. Ephesians chapter 1. This is really awesome. What Paul prays for the Ephesian church. And I believe we can apply this to ourselves. 
<clears throat> Paul says that he prays, beginning in verse 17, this is what he prays for the followers of Jesus, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, now this doesn't mean that Jesus is not God. It's talking about God the Father, that he may give you the Spirit, and in some translations that Spirit is capitalized, meaning the Holy Spirit, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him or knowing God, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. God is calling people all over the world. Hallelujah. If they would respond, they would be blessed. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And we have a share in that inheritance. Amen? What is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His mighty power, which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. That's the power of God. If you and I don't die, and maybe the rapture will happen in our lifetime, nobody knows. But if it doesn't, eventually this body's going to wear out and we're going to depart from this tent of clay and we're going to go and share in the inheritance that Jesus has secured and procured for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. Amen. And he has been seated at the right hand of the Father far above all principality and might and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Most people that you talk to and you meet and you work with or you see, and they, they, most people don't think about the age to come. All this life is all that matters to most people. Most people do not have an eternal perspective. It has to come from God. God has to deal with them, and that he will. Not only that, but God has put all things under Jesus' feet and has given him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness. Now, this is one of these phrases that it's really difficult for me to comprehend because we don't see it right now. But his body, the church, the, and Jesus is the fullness of him who fills all in all. What does that mean? Him who fills all in all. We don't see that right now. I don't see it. But we will see it. The goal of Jesus coming to earth is to unite everything to God and to make his kingdom preeminent. Amen? Hopefully I'm not <laughs> waxing too eloquent or philosophical, trying to keep it simple. They did not know God. In, uh, they did not know God through wisdom. Mankind cannot discern our duty to God by natural means. I already read that. It comes by revelation. And this is what Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians. He prays that they would have revelation the interesting thing is this word 
Folly in this sentence is where we get the word moron from. It means dull or stupid or heedless. Many people go through life ignoring God. Some on purpose, some just because they haven't got a clue. It literally means <laughs> to be a blockhead. <laughs> they did not honor God. They were f they, they, because you, you tell them about Jesus and they come up with, well, I believe in aliens. <laughs> what? <laughs> what evidence do you have for aliens? Oh, UFOs have been sighted. And, and have they done anything to help you? <laughs> no. Foolishness of preaching. Hallelujah. And this word, folly and foolishness, is only found in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, according to my Strong's Concordance. Hallelujah. Let's go on. Romans chapter 1, verse 19 through 23. What can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them, but they ignored him. The invisible, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. They are without excuse. Morons. For although they know God... They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they came futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fool and ex fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds, animals, and creeping things. When God sent the ten plagues to Egypt, God used their gods to mock them. Each of the ten plagues was a direct assault on the Egyptian gods. Can you imagine worshiping a beetle? How about a cow? Oh, mighty cow. <laughs> I saw a video one time. This guy says, I was worshiping the cow and it charged at me. It tried to gore me with its horn. Some holy cow that was tried to kill me. You know, I grew up as a Catholic, and we had statues in the church building there, and I always thought, and, and I actually prayed to them at some point in time. I thought, you know, this is strange. And then I read in the Bible not to make idols, and, oh, they're not idols. They're just there, they say, you know, to remind us of uh, holy things. We got to read the Bible and be reminded of holy things, Amen. They did not honor him as God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3, if our gospel is hidden or veiled, it is hid to them who are lost or who are in the way of perishing because the God of this world has blinded their minds. That's why the Bible says that we're supposed to renew our minds by the washing of the water of the word. We're talking about the wisdom of God as opposed to the foolishness of mankind. And Paul goes on, he writes to the Corinthians, Jews demand signs. Let's stop there just a minute. What signs do they demand? Anybody ever hear of circumcision? That's a sign. Circumcision, what else do they, they uh, 
They look for, they keep the Sabbath. There's some people that say, oh, no, no, you have to uh, worship God on, on a Saturday. Uh, and and uh, somebody um, recently posted, uh, I think it was on Facebook, oh, you know, we're not supposed to worship. No, no, the early Christians didn't worship God on a Sunday. That's something that some man made up. <laughs> Paul writes and says, you know what? If you think one day is more special than others, have at it, go for it. As for me and you, make up your mind, every day to me is a good day. Every day to me is a good day to worship God. I don't know about you, but ever since Easter Sunday, it's still Easter Sunday. Amen? Jesus has risen from the dead. He's not in the grave anymore. He's not going back in the grave. He's risen from the dead. And that should be a cause of rejoicing each and every morning. It's another day and Jesus is alive. Hallelujah. That's how the early Christians used to greet each other. He's risen. Glory to God. He's risen. That's awesome. You know, think about this. If you and I were there, and, and if you or I were, were, were some of the early apostles and disciples, and you saw, like, none of them were there at the crucifixion except John, but they knew what had happened. There was a shameful, horrible thing. Jesus was crucified as a criminal. And his crime was that he was the king of the Jews. And, 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 and Peter goes back fishing. Uh, it's all over. Going fishing. And Jesus appears to him. He's like, what? This should, should, I don't know about you, but it should produce some measure of joy and excitement that Jesus is alive forevermore. And that you and I have the hope of eternal life that you and I even if this body wears out and our spirit departs we will still be alive the Jews demand a sign and the Greeks seek wisdom but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness or morons they think we are to Gentiles or people that are not Jewish stumbling block hallelujah psalm 118 that great messianic psalm it says that the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and guess does anybody know what psalm 118 verse 24 says you should memorize this 1824 that was a good year 12 years after napoleon was defeated in 1812 psalm 118 verse 24 remember this Today's memory verse. This is the day that the Lord has made and we will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad every day. Hallelujah. But the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And Jesus is quoted in Matthew chapter 21, verse 44. It says, whoever falls on this stone will be broken. Sometimes people have to be broken before they come to God. Sometimes tragedy may have to happen before people will even look and think maybe God's help in somewhere, some way, doing something in my life and I need to pay attention. Whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. I don't know about you, but I would rather not be ground to powder 
I'd rather fall broken on the stone so that I could be healed, so that God can touch and refresh me. Luke chapter 7, verse 23, in the J.B. Phillips translation, it says, happy, he goes on, this is another uh, quote from Jesus talking about the stone, happy is the man who never loses his faith in me, Jesus said. Happy is the person that never loses their faith in Jesus, that continually trusts in God. I like the Amplified. Pastor Wayne always jokes around us, the Amplified is the loud version. But in this Luke chapter 7, verse 23, it says, blessed, happy, with life, joy, and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation, apart from outward conditions, and to be envied is the person who takes no offense in Jesus and who is not hurt or resentful or annoyed or made to stumble, whatever happens. Jesus expects us, I believe, to be steadfast in following him. He expects us to be faithful. Whatever happens, Jesus expects us to continue following him no matter what. We have it pretty easy in this country. We don't get tortured for our faith. We don't get, excuse me, put in prison. We don't have our lives threatened, at least not very often in this country. But thank God that there are people, do you know that there's people in Pakistan, Christians in Pakistan, who are literally slaves because they're indentured and their families are indentured for generations to these people who look down on them as though they're second-class citizens. Those Christians are praying for you and I. To me, that's amazing. They're, they're in, in such oppressive uh, atmospheres they're looked on. They're, most of them, their job is to clean out the sewers. Or just lovely. And they don't have protective personal equipment like we got here in America. They don't have OSHA standards over there. You just dive right in and clean the poop out. Or you work over here in the brick kiln and where it's uh, 150 degrees. And, and those people are praying for us. They get put in prison if they say something wrong about whoever, they could be stoned or killed or murdered if they evangelize. And they're praying for us in this country. Glory to God. <sighs> Let's go on. Christ crucified. Why? Because somebody had to pay. People think, well, you know, I'll just try to get my good deeds to outweigh my bad deeds. Well, good luck with that because you're going to have to do a whole lot more good deeds and you won't ever be able to do enough. Amen? But to those who are called, and some translations put the word in here, the called, both Jews and Greeks, this means this, the call to salvation is universal for anybody and everybody. Christ is the power or the demonstration of God and Christ is the wisdom of God. <clears throat> there is no other way, no other way for salvation to be made available. They killed too many 
fatted calves, they killed too many sheep and goats, and they killed too many. Um, if you didn't, couldn't afford a goat or a sheep, you could buy a turtle dove. And they would transfer your sin to this innocent animal. But it wasn't enough. God had to come in the flesh. Those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Romans chapter 1, verse 4 says these words, Jesus is declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit, capital S, of holiness by the resurrection <clears throat> from the dead. There's an empty tomb in Jerusalem to prove all of this. Muhammad's not his in his tomb. Confucius is in his tomb. All these other people, every other great religious teacher are still in their tombs. Only Jesus has risen from the dead. Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, and I'll end with this. Jesus is the one in whom is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If you want wisdom, just look to Jesus. If you want knowledge, the Word became a human being and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Son. Remember what it says, all Scripture is God-breathed, inspired by God. This is God's words. This has got the power of God in it if we will ingest it, if we'll read it, if we'll study it, if we'll look at it as not just literature, but look at it as the wisdom of God, as the plan of God, the salvation of our souls. Hallelujah. The hope of the resurrection from the dead. We'll get to see all of our relatives who have passed on before us. Amen. And we'll get to see, most of all, Jesus himself.